Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello and welcome to Bookworms. This is a podcast from Fun Kids. My name is Bex and every episode, well, we have a lot of brilliant books to get through, basically. There's so many amazing books in the world and I like to find out about as many of them as possible. Now, what a lineup we've got for you today. Now, if you're listening to this on the day the podcast is released, that's the 6th of September, you might know, you might not know, today is National Read a Book Day. And if you're listening after the 6th of September, don't worry, you've still got lots of chances to read lots of books. Uh, Also, I know lots of people are going back to school at the moment. Maybe you've got some new books on the agenda to read. Maybe your teachers have given you some new books. Let us know what you've been up to. We really, really want to find out all about the books you're reading at funkidslive.com. Now, the books I've been reading this week have been pretty awesome, not to brag, but Judith Eagle came by Fun Kids to talk about her new one, Stolen Songbird. Now, the story takes place in 1950s London, and it's all about Caro. Now, Caro becomes part of a dangerous art heist after finding a picture in the lining of her suitcase. Let's find out more. All right, then. I am joined now by the author, Judith Eagle, a friend of the show. I haven't seen you for a while. And you bring with you a brand new book, The Stolen Songbird. Uh, tell us, where do we find your main character, Caro? OK, so the story is set in 1959 in London and Caro Monday lives in a pub in Waterloo with her two mums and her rabbit, his nibs, who's a big white rabbit with one ginger splotch over one eye and a ginger ear. Um, two mums, one is Jacinta Monday, who's a world-famous whistler, and her other mum is Ronnie Rudd, who runs the pub. And at the beginning of the story, Jacinta Monday, the whistler, has gone missing on tour in South America, and Ronnie Rudd has got to go and tend her sister up north, so Caro needs to be sent somewhere to be looked after. She's not allowed to stay in the pub on her own. So it's decided that she will be sent to stay with GAM, which stands for Great Aunt Mary, and she's not at all happy about this mainly because her mum never, ever talks about Gam. She hasn't seen her since she was 16. She's persona non grata. Um, so Caro can't understand why is she being sent to stay with this person who apparently is like a strict Victorian aunt. But she is sent there and she's not allowed to take her rabbit, but she does take her rabbit anyway. And when she gets there, she thinks the hardest thing that she'll have to contend with is homesickness, but actually it's a lot bigger than that. She gets there, she unpacks her suitcase, and she finds a little, very precious painting of a bird. She doesn't know how it got there, who put it in there, but it turns out this very same painting is being hunted down by a notorious gang of art thieves called the Snakes, and they know that Caro has got it. I mean, if that's not going to hook people in, (laughs) what will? Let's face it, that's incredible. Um, Now, I, as soon as I opened this book, I was like because Caro was in the pub and I grew up in a pub as well so I was thrilled to see that Um, and also I used to have bunny rabbits so again big fan and uh, what made you give her a rabbit what was the reason that you thought rabbit not a dog or a cat well I've already had a dog in a book and a cat in a book I've never had a rabbit 
it just sort of popped into my head one day. I think maybe I was watching a film and there were rabbits in the film and I just thought oh, that would be really fun to have a big floppy rabbit <laughs> who's really loyal and who bounds around London with Caro and is her best friend, her confidant. It's a great yeah. idea for a little familiar, basically, isn't it? And Caro is a great character as well, like such an exciting character. Did you enjoy writing her? Really loved writing her because she's a really brave, resourceful character. Um but she does have her weaknesses. Well, not weaknesses. I mean, we all have them. She's very independent when she's in her area in Waterloo, in the pub, and she's it's her stomping ground. But the thought of being sent away to somewhere where she doesn't know anyone, and it's only, you know, five, six stops on the tube, but it just fills her with fear. She's She knows she's going to be really homesick. And when she's told she can't take her rabbit, his nibs, who's always with her, <laughs> she just thinks she's not going to be able to cope hence why she smuggles him. And tell us a little bit about Gam as well, because uh, interesting character there too, right? So Gam, great Aunt Mary, um, whose Caro has never met before, um, and her mum never, ever talks about her. She's a kind of forbidden subject. And she really is, she does look like she's come from the Victorian age. She dresses in severe sort of droopy black and she wears a black lace cap and she always carries a green silk umbrella which she wraps on the floor when she wants to make her point. Um... And she's strict in the way that she's very overprotective and Caro can't understand why she has to stay indoors all the time. Mm. Her her and Albie, who is another little boy that um, Gam also looks after, they're they're only allowed to go out for half an hour a day in the company of another adult. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very protective and she's also really frightened of rabbits. So there's a mystery there. yeah, not at all what Caro is used to because both her mums are really liberal and allow her to run all over London and have fun and then suddenly she's here with this very old-fashioned woman who's no fun at all. I do love the idea that she's gone from a mum who's a professional whistler which I didn't think was a thing but I really enjoyed that that was, a, that was an option and, and to this quite d- different kind of household it, it is quite overwhelming. Um, now tell me you did mention London there this in a way it feels like a bit of a love letter to London like London is an extra character in the book almost how come? Definitely so I did grow up in London well in the suburbs of North London and the story set before I was born, but it's also imbued with my memories of London when I was little. So sort of imagining what London was like before I was born, but also with my remembrances of it. Um, yeah, it is. London is a major character yeah. in the book, sort of living, breathing, and Caro loves it. And growing up in North London, I've got lots of memories of being driven into town with my mum and dad and going to all the museums and especially one big memory that inspired the story actually was my memory of the old Hungerford Bridge. Mm -hmm. It was a really dramatic bridge, big iron bridge and there was a very narrow walkway for the pedestrians and you could see a low railing, you could see the swirling Thames on one side and on the other side the trains thundering into uh, Charing Cross. It was really dramatic and I just had this picture of Caro who's a gymnast, she dreams of being a gymnast when she grows up of climbing the bridge is her favourite place to come to when she's cross or angry Mm -hmm. and climbing the bridge and then hanging upside down and seeing St Paul's upside down and the river upside down Mm -hmm. Um, and that was an image that I held in my head the whole time I was writing the story of this girl who just had this affinity the bridge and the river yeah. and the feelings it conjured up. You can tell that she just loves London. And and also, um, I you mentioned Waterloo quite a lot and I spent a lot of time in Waterloo and also Hampstead and I uh, live near Hampstead Heath. So um, reading the book, it, it feels like um, 
people you know getting a shout out it's almost like yeah i know that place and yeah i know that thing and it was really exciting for me to read it as well it was really cool there's this little i used to go to um classes every week at um Birkbeck University so I'd get the 176 bus across the river and just as you get to Waterloo you look down from the top deck of the bus and you can see this tiny little cottage well little brick house Victorian Mm -hmm. house marooned on its own in the middle of the island and it used to be on a street called Whitchurch Street I think and all the other houses have been knocked down but this one house remains tiny little two up two down house and I just used to look at it and think oh I wonder who might have lived there or who lives there now, yeah. what might have happened. And it's it's right by the arches and that made me think about living there and setting the action in a pub in that area. I love that London, yeah, has kind of like inspired you and kind of created the book for you. But like you said, it's set in 1959. So did you have to research that as well? Like what was going on at that time? Lots of research, really, really loved the research. Um, so I looked at lots of photographs by um, Roger Main, who captured street life in 1950s London, a lot of pictures of kids playing out in the street and in junkyards and bomb sites. So that was really inspirational. Um, and then a, quite a crucial part of the book happens 20 years before in 1939-40, just at the beginning of the war, which has an impact on the whole of the rest of the story. So that was another reason, just, oh, 20 years in the future is 1959, so I'm going to set it then. And then I had great fun doing all the research. It's it's such an interesting idea because a lot of books are written in World War Two or mm. in modern day, but I think the 50s is, is not as common for children's books, I would say. That's true. Yeah, it's not. There's so much for the Second World War. Um, yeah, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was an exciting time anyway, because um, we were coming out of an age of austerity after Mm. the war and the 60s was ahead of us which was going to be a really exciting time of change Um, but there's also loads of really recognisable things still about it so although there's interesting historical things I think children reading the book would still be able to imagine themselves in Caro's shoes The Stolen Songbird is a brilliant book and uh, I know all of our listeners are going to love it it's such an amazing adventure with so many kind of exciting twists and turns and lots of lots of bits in it so everyone's gonna love it uh judith thank you so much for telling us all about it thank you very much thank you very much to judith uh next up we've got jason reynolds now he has an intro and a reading to his new book stunt boy in between time stunt boy is a superhero but that doesn't mean he doesn't have his own challenges like separation bullying and anxiety and jason is going to tell us a little bit more about his brand new funny and heartwarming book what's up y'all this is jason reynolds And I'm the author of Stunt Boy in Between Time, which is the sequel to Stunt Boy in the Meantime. This particular book, Stunt Boy in Between Time, uh, is a story about three kids, uh, Portico, Zola and Herbert, who live in a council estate. Um, And in this building is where they sort of experience all their adventures, uh, their fun times, their scary times, um, their new experiences, uh, as they constantly push the line to figure out uh, who they are in this space, but also who they are in themselves. Portico, our main character specifically, is dealing with a complicated time. His parents are going through a divorce. And in this story, he is uh, he is told that while his mom is out of town, he has to spend the first night in his father's apartment. So his father has moved out and they've gone separate ways, but his father still lives in the building. He lives downstairs. And so the story is, is that Portico, uh, his mother, tells him, you have to stay at your father's house. I'm going out of town, but you make sure that by the end of this day, you get down to your father's house. Um, the only issue is there uh, is an elevator in the building that is no longer working. 
And because this elevator isn't working, everybody has to take the stairs. And because everybody has to take the stairs, the stairwell becomes a world unto itself, a world full of uh, people that he loves, his neighbors, the old ladies, the kooky characters, but also people that he's a little bit afraid of, some of his bullies, you know, um, the ween ages and, and the mean ages and the in-between ages and all these people uh, who, who hang out in the stairwell, some up to no good. But things get really cool when they discover, he and his friends discover an empty apartment uh, way upstairs on one of the top floors. And um, and they use it as sort of the base for their superhero antics, the base for their friendship, uh, for them to sort of hang out and have their own space to be themselves and to explore their creativity. But just because they get to explore their creativity doesn't mean that the way they explore it um, is right um and so they break some rules and we're forced to grapple with what that means for them and how they deal with that uh, when the consequences come because as we all know the consequences do come uh now that's what the story is about in a nutshell without me spoiling too much of it but i have to say that what i love writing uh, about this book or, or what i enjoyed the most was just how silly it all is right so like these are big themes and they're complicated themes but the truth is most of the story is just full of laughter and uh and you know antics um we see some strange animals we see some weird neighbors uh we eat some 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 kind of funky foods we meet some people who are amazing but very different from some of the characters that we've met before we get to see a lot more of grand grand uh portico's grandmother we get to learn about her life and her friends and what she's got going on we get to see them explore outside of the building and what's going on outside of the building. Uh, and all of that, um, for me, was just an absolute blast to write. Um, it was inspired by some of my friends in my own life. I'm inspired by my own imagination and some of the silly things I did as a kid um, and that I you know, got in trouble for. And, uh, and I think people who listen to it uh, who read it rather, and all of you who are listening to this, I think that what you will love most about it is how these really complicated ideas and these tough subjects um, have been made really lighthearted and really funny. And I, and honestly, just a really good time. This will be a fun read, which I know is not always the case, but this one uh, for sure will be a fun, truly a fun book to read. And Raul's illustrations make it even better. I hope y'all enjoy. Stump Boy. He's the best superhero most people have never heard of. But you've heard of him because, well, you're smart and trustworthy and keep your eyes on all the secret superheroes, which happens to be your secret superpower. But hey, this story ain't about you. This story is about Stump Boy. And also, it's about what you know about Stump Boy, like how he loves television and drawing way more than books, or how he lives on the fourth floor in the Skylight Gardens, the big castle with the glassiest glass and the prettiest bricks on earth. At least he used to. I mean, he still lives in the castle, but now he lives on the fifth floor and the third floor. And now you're thinking two things. How does he have two apartments in the castle? His superpower must be being in two places at once. Well, he wishes, but no. Your second thought is, or he must be rich. Yeah, that's what Portico thought too, at first. He thought Skylight Gardens was going to be renamed the Portico Palace or the Reeves Resort, but turns out that's not true either. The real reason he now lives in two apartments is because his parents, um, his, his parents, they, uh, they just say it already. 
Portico's parents became exes. Yeah, hard and hard to pronounce. I mean, because it's basically just made of two eyes and X should make the sound of I, but big, a big loud I. But maybe because the two eyes cross, they jumble up the sound and that makes everything hard. So now X sounds like X or X or sh or z. It's the only real mixed up letter and mixed up letters sometimes do mixed up things. Like just say it already, like break up and become two separate eyes again which caused Portico to break down and cry his eyes out. It had only been about six days since the big split, and on the seventh day, Portico was supposed to spend the night at his father's apartment, apartment 3C, for the first time. This should have been great news, but to Portico, spending the night at his father's place meant accepting the fact that his father's place was real, which meant his mother and father's breakup was real, which meant the upside downing of his family was real, and that was real hard. Normally, he would have been excited to spend the weekend doing father-son things, but he'd never had to do that without the day ending with his parents doing mom-dad things. Now his mom and dad were busy doing we-don't-like-each-other things, which to Portico was just a whole bunch of this-don't-make-sense things, which made his body do bumble-jumble-rumble things. In case you forgot, frets are when Portico's insides become a jigsaw puzzle put together all wrong, and tonight, the night before he his first weekend with his dad, the frets had decided to keep him awake, puzzling, his inside things running around each floor of his body, his grunge sponge and his gas tank were having a dance contest like the one he and Zola had at Zola's birthday party a few weeks before, his squigglies and beaner cleaner were bouncing off the walls acting out their favorite TV shows. Had they ever heard of Super Space Warriors? Of course they had. They literally live inside Portico. Anyway, the point is, once Portico finally fell asleep, the fret showed up there too in his dreams. In this dream, Portico was on the fourth floor outside his old apartment, but strangely, the door was bolted shut. That didn't stop him from trying to open it. As he yanked and yanked on the door, he heard his father calling him. Portico, his father's voice, echoed throughout the building. Portico ran to the stairwell to get a better listen. Portico, Portico, his father's voice was now louder. Portico! Portico started down the stairs, but after he jumped down one flight, which should have landed him on the third floor, he realized something was wrong because instead he was on the fifth floor. Weird, he thought. But the weirdness of it all didn't stop him from trying to find his father because that would be weird. So he tried it down the next staircase. To his surprise, the second surprise, he was now on the sixth floor. Confused and frustrated, Portico stormed down flight after flight after flight, more flights than actually exist in skylight gardens, but the numbers kept going up until finally he heard his mother's voice. Portico, she cried out from below him. Portico turned around and headed back up the steps, flight after flight, but this time, though he was going up, the floor numbers were going down and up and up. He went and down and down. The numbers went up was down, down was up, and no one was anywhere to be found. Portico, his mother called again, up, Portico, up. Portico's mother was shaking him awake. Portico opened his eyes, and even though it felt like he just closed him, his mother kissed him on the forehead. Wake up, baby, she said. It's time for me to go. Where you going, Portico gurgled. I told you last night Mrs. Bronner invited me to a meditation retreat. I figured it might be nice for me to try something new. Oh, that's good, Portico replied, only half awake. If he had been more awake, maybe he would have said all, that all anyone their family seemed to be doing were new things. 
Mom lived in a new place, which meant Portico lived in a new place. Dad lived in a new place, which meant after tonight, Portico lived in another new place. And Grand Grand lived with Dad, so she was also in a new place. And the cat, a new name every day, well, the cat pretty much did whatever it wanted. You want some advice? I'd love some, especially from you, his mother said, her face somewhere between rested and wrestling, which is how it looks since the big split. Portico sat up because you can't give advice lying down. Okay, so... When it comes to meditationing, all you have to remember is to make yourself a pretzel and take a bunch of deep breaths through your toes. Portico's mother pretended to write this down with an invisible pen on an invisible piece of paper. Pretzel, toes, got it. Anything else? Well, you might want to focus more on your thumb toes because your pinky toes have corns and corns and pretzels don't really go all that good together, Portico advised. Wow. Okay, I'll be sure to keep that in mind. You just make sure you go down to your father's apartment. And when you get there, promise me there will be no pretzels involved, no twists, no knots, and no salt between you two. Understand? Before I let you go from today's Bookworms podcast, I've got to remind you that Emma Reed has a brand new book out called The House Trap. It is perfect for spooky season that's approaching. Uh, This book is full of puzzles and mysteries to solve. Emma loves scary stories. So if you're into the spookier side of things and you are very excited about autumn and Halloween, this might be the book for you. That's The House Trap by Emma Reed. That's pretty much it from me today from Bookworms. Remember, if you've liked the podcast, subscribe, follow, tell all of your friends about it and let me know what books you are reading this term. Go to funkidslive.com. I'll see you soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Alright, um, it's got some amazingly pink and white flowers. The leaves look quite kind of, like, um, kind of furry, you know what I mean? It's a warm spring day in late March, and ever since the leaves have started to come out, Roby Joe has been wondering why some trees lose their leaves and some don't. And also, like, how the trees know when it's time to shed their leaves. To find out, join us on the conversations Curious Kids, wherever you get your podcasts.